This week on Trek, Mary Kill. Swords, feelings, poker. Next. The fleet is being controlled by the collective. The Bogar here. That cube is projecting a signal across the solar system. Jack is there. And the only way to save Earth is to sever that connection, no matter the cost. What began over 35 years ago ends tonight. We are all that is left of Starfleet. Weapons ready for another run. Don't look! Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, a Star Trek podcast I didn't write the intro for. <laughs> Maybe I'll come up with something else. I don't know. A Star Trek podcast that um, is for the good of the collective. Okay. All right. All, all right. right. There we go. That's good. Just keep it like that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> we'll keep it. Leave this in. Uh, this week, Kristen and I were wrapping up my childhood. I mean, Kristen and I will be wrapping up Star Trek Picard season three. Mm-hmm. Kristen, first of all, we've done it again. We finished another season of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Let's give ourselves a hand. Uh, we're talking about, of course, the series finale of Star Trek Picard season three's episode 10, The Last Generation, written and directed by Terry Metalis. It aired April 20th, 2023 on Paramount Plus. That's right, 420, baby. (laughs) This is only the second time in Star Trek history that the same person has written and directed an episode or movie, you know, the same episode or movie. Although you could make the argument that Nicholas Meyer is the third such person. He doesn't get screenplay credit on Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, but he did, in fact, rewrite it in like 12 days and he directed it. But... Not credited. Hmm. I, I think if I had put in the notes, you never would have guessed. You wouldn't have even come close, Kristen. And honestly, I had to like make sure I was getting my facts correct. John Meredith Lucas wrote and directed Elon of Troyes in the third season of the original series. Have no recollection of that episode? No, I've seen it. Read it, reread about it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that one. Had no idea it was written and directed by the same guy. I actually believe that was on TV the other day. Oh. Uh, I was reading... And so, therefore, I don't know what happens in it either. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's it's only a big deal in terms of its historical. I mean, there's been so much Star Trek, you know what I mean? So it's just Mm -hmm. it's like a very interesting note I thought I'd bring out there. But all that aside, Kristen, Mm -hmm. this uh, entire season of Trek, Mary Kill was formed around this season coming out. And I, you know, knowing what it was about generally I was definitely like, all right, we'll end our first season with the final season of Star Trek Picard. And uh, so here we are at the end of many things. But how did it make you feel while watching Picard this season? Did it make you feel anything different or extra or special about the next generation? Or are you, unlike me, a well-adjusted person? Well, I wouldn't say that. But I, (laughs) during this specific episode, I tend to get kind of like anxious if I think that there's a possibility of like a character dying and then i remembered that this is not game of thrones it's star trek so i didn't really have to worry that much there was a uh, apparently they very briefly and probably in the same breath that they suggested it shot down picard dying 
So that was mm-hmm. at least the only real consideration. And I had, if I had put money down, I would have lost a lot of money because it was like Worf or Riker are going to die this season. And <laughs> that was not the case. Yeah. We're weapons. We're spoilers free, folks, by the way. If you haven't been listening to our show and you're only dropping in at this one. Well, welcome. Yeah, yeah welcome. Yes. <laughs> uh, did you feel like this was the eighth season of The Next Generation or the fifth TNG movie or simply the best season of Picard? I mean, it's definitely the best season of Picard. It did feel kind of like maybe the fifth movie. I think it's very easy for people because literally the Enterprise D is in it to maybe think of it as Mm -hmm. a season of the show. But it really was sort of structured and paced uh, and it was made sort of much more like a movie. Like I could I really wish I could have seen the IMAX where it was just episode nine and ten together because I would have cried in public but also just been blown away i mean it felt like we were watching a marvel movie for the last two episodes you know obviously next generation means a lot to both of us and you know i want to it this this season this episode in particular they're really trying to put a bow on the whole thing we should talk about that a little bit like not necessarily what it's meant to us and all that but sort of this is a capstone to this entire idea of it and this is very much the last time we're going to see them all together on one big ad- in one big adventure. I think it's a great send off better than Nemesis. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> glad <Yes>. they did it. <laughs> yeah, me too. I I'm very glad that they did it. And I think having it be serialized, I think works in its favor because we know there's only X amount of episodes. If it were the eighth season of the next generation, I think it would have been difficult. So there's obviously a parasocial relationship angle to this that I got to play up a little bit. I think I've talked about this before. After my dad died, there was there was a leadership gap, <laughs> role model gap there. I got a gift from my mom, which is very nice, like a, a letter from Patrick Stewart in a picture and all that. And we've talked about our mutual friend who calls him Space Dad. And, you know, he's uh, he's and then this season, he's literally being a father figure to someone. Mm-hmm. He is literally space dad this time. Yes, full on. <laughs> and uh, I've certainly said really ageist kind of mean things. I think uh, I'm being critical of myself here about how Patrick Stewart is older. And it, it, it just kind of, you know, you're just reminded of mortality when sometimes watching him. And it, it stinks. But I just got to say between this episode and all the publicity surrounding it, you could tell everyone really liked making it because it was a full press blitz and everyone had not only just like, oh, yeah, this is great. It was a, they had really insightful, awesome, excited things to say about it. I, I've listened to every podcast Jonathan Frakes has been on about this season. Gates McFadden has her own podcast. I've listened to every episode. She's been a guest on the Shuttle Pod show. I'm going to reference that in a little bit. Patrick Stewart's comments even this time around are f- far less Pablum-esque as they have been in the previous two seasons to the point where I'm bringing it all. I'm wrapping it all in Kristen, the space dad thing. I'm not his son. It's parasocial relationship. Remember, but if mm-hmm. I've already mentioned the age thing. I'm just going to bring up his LA times interview. And uh, he was asked like, what was it like seeing everybody again? And uh, it must've felt weird growing older and then getting all back together. And Patrick Stewart says, We've all aged, all of us. I mean, Michael Dorn, whose hair is white, and Jonathan with his grizzled gray beard, and me, of course, with my hollowed cheeks and exhausted appearance. (laughs) (laughs) How different was it playing Picard and Picard? 
There are moments when I look at scenes in Picard and think, this is Patrick Stewart saying this about himself. I look at scenes of Picard and think, poor guy, <laughs> he looks terrible. He's having such a bad time. That wasn't my intention, but that was be- what was being communicated. Anxiety, stress, irritation. I never yelled as Picard. I mean, I may have done, the line must be drawn here, for which I was made fun of <laughs> for decades. Actually, there was one <laughs> like it in the last episode, and I thought, at least because there aren't that many more episodes, nobody will be making fun of me for yelling. We made fun of one another a lot. The impact of the final episode had on me was unexpected and almost overwhelming. You know what? Let me stop for a second. He's not talking to me. I'm just saying he's addressing a thing I have talked about. And God damn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, whatever happened, it's like it just the, these last two episodes, it was like I was 12 years old again. It That really was the feeling. So at least for my weird brain, this all really worked. Can you believe I actually read this article that you linked? I'm not much. of. Did a- you like it? Not much of a reader. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not much of a reader. Um, so <laughs> I, which is really funny, because actually I am a big reader. I just, if I don't want to read something, I won't do it. But anyway, I actually found the one of the more interesting parts of the interview is nothing about Star Trek. It's about how when he would be, when he was a stage actor, he would run home between the matinee and the evening performance to feed his kids dinner, and then run back. And then, like, when they offered him the job on Star Trek, he was like, this must be a mistake. Like, there's no way anyone could ever make this much money per episode. And it wasn't even like, <laughs> you know, like a big TV star salary. So right. I found all that really interesting. The syndicated TV budget. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he got offered to just talk about Shakespeare at UCLA one day. And Bob Justman, the producer on Next Generation, right while they're getting all ramped up just happened to be there mm-hmm. <laughs> what complete happenstance the way the series ends is wonderful and i so badly thought it was totally wrong when we shot it but the director <laughs> and, produ- and producers in particular terry metallis who directed it his instinct was absolutely right my instinct was only protective whereas he was going deeper into what 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 made me feel this morning because at the beginning of the article he says if you had seen me this morning you would have seen me crying because i just watched the finale what made me feel this morning, the whole effect it had on my life and career, this show. And I promise you, oh, he says right here. <laughs> I promise you, if you'd come to see me at half past eight this morning, you would have found me in my wife's arms, wiping away the tears. So as much as at times Star Trek Picard has felt like Patrick Stewart's not vanity project, but like, this is what I want to do. Cause I, I have something to say about uh, Brexit and, and fascism and all that stuff, all noble things to address in art this is just also him being humbled to the whole thing the whole experience to how overwhelming it all is and i think that's why this episode in particular and and obviously the season then too is so effective like it is that bow and it it does i think it stays just on this side of of being emotional and true as opposed to just cynical ip management which it definitely has that element too but because mm-hmm. of what it is i don't know did you feel the same yeah all right <laughs> good job space dad mm-hmm. <laughs> Super space dad. a really fun um experience watching the whole thing seeing the enterprise crew back in action the enterprise d flipped out in the last episode but just about the humble part of it uh we had had a story earlier this season 
Uh, one of our, our guest co-hosts, Joel, he told that story about Walter Koenig when he hears about voice command or he witnesses mm-hmm. someone inputting, he's like, this world isn't for me anymore. And uh, Joel explained to him, like, this world is in part because of you, because of Star Trek. And I think in this case, the next generation is is drafting off of the original series and the impact it all has. But I also think like Patrick Stewart now, I mean, he understands, like, I mean a lot to a lot of people for playing this character. Yeah. I always like when actors finally come around to that. Yeah, the ones that don't are like, so it's so strange to me. I can't think of an, exa- of an ex- example at the moment, but I, I probably will as we're going along. But yeah, there's like some actors are just like, I don't know, give it up, who cares? Yeah. It was 20 years ago, who cares? Well, that's the thing. I think all of them go through that phase. Like they're too cool for school. Yeah, I think they're kind of like, you know, I'm an actor or I'm a star. I don't want to be known for this one thing. Like Nimoy literally wrote, I am not Spock. And then he wrote a- another memoir. <laughs> I am Spock. You know, I think they just all kind of go through it in some way. Um, and so I think it's it feels really special that, you know, Patrick Stewart is genuinely saying like it took being reunited with all these people I've stayed in touch with over the years, like the Next Generation cast is close knit. But just the idea, like all of us getting back together to make one more thing of this really put it over the top, really helped me or fully appreciate it, live it in the moment. So just you could feel how special it was. Mm-hmm. All right. So we both thought the season was successful. Yeah. Great. Straight thoughts about this episode then. I have some for the end about the post credits scene, and I think it's best left for the end because I think there's some setup there. Okay. Well, I did want to talk about the backdoor pilot that is buried. Yeah, that, in that's episode. exactly what I wanted to talk about. So you want to talk at about that end. now? Oh, okay. <laughs> no. You want to talk about it at the end? Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. So then the episode ends with, or the episode proper ends with a, a very long poker scene which they dip into the final credits to extend that out. So Collider asked Terry Metalis, like he'd been doing, they'd been doing all season interviewing him post episode. Uh, so my, so for my last question, I was curious to know what it was like filming that day on set. Did it feel a certain kind of way? Come on. Are these like email questions? I don't know. Cause his responses seem a lot more like over a zoom or in person. There's, there's sort of an informality to them mm. that suggests that. I don't know. So that's the question. And Metalla says, I wanted the audience to feel like they were really in that poker game and really get a sense to feel like what it's like to hang out with this cast, to feel the genuine laughter of this friendship that they've had for decades. So I let the camera roll for 45 minutes and that camera just moved around the table. I think we'll probably put a lot of it on the Blu-ray. So that's all real. Those laughs, those smiles, all those are just they're genuine. None of that's acting aside from the last line. That was always part of the plan. We built that into the schedule to be able to pull that off. Kristen, I cannot wait for the bonus full episode of Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> the 40-minute. Yeah, the all, or a bunch of 70-year-old people play poker. Yes. <laughs> My wife leaned over while it was going on. She's like, how much longer are they be going to be playing poker? And I said to her, I hope it never ends. <laughs> 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 because I was saying goodbye to my friends. This is the longest parasocial uh-huh. relationship I've ever had. But also there was a, there was that little tinge of like, well, they already did this. This was the end of the next generation. This was all good things. And it was amazing. It's probably one of the best finales ever made. But upon reflection, thinking about it some more, this really was like, that was the start. This is the end. 
Like, if you think about all good things and then between this, that's the whole story there. Like, also, like, as an apology. Yes, the movies happen. Now, here's the better ending to all that. <laughs> um, any other stray thoughts? I have two more. They're real quick. I wasn't here talking about the previous episode. Interesting that only the old people were not uh, affected by the transporter uh, DNA infusion thing. That's all. Are you trying to say that the show was trying to say something? Yeah, but I put it later in the grade, so we can get okay. to it. That was just something I wrote down before we got through. I got through the whole episode because we hadn't discussed the previous two episodes together. Mm, yeah. But um, yeah, that was interesting. Fair enough. Also, I will say, I feel if I have a criticism of this episode, I feel like it goes a little quick in terms of resolving the conflict when we had previously discussed how we weren't really getting cutting to the chase in previous episodes so the pacing i think is a bit off on yeah. the last few episodes in my opinion but a minor nitpick in the grand scheme of things i really do think after episode four it's not helter skelter but i really think as pretty tight i think episode two kind of I, it disappears in my mind because it had a lot of lot to do sort of like how episodes five and six did but it seemed like it was more artfully done because it was at the beginning of the writer's room and they you know they could kind of go into it but it definitely feels like the second half of the season had a weird uh start and stop quality to it or drag things out quality to it mm-hmm. that the first half didn't have for sure i totally agree but man, what we got was pretty great. <laughs> yeah, but like it was touch and go there for a little bit. Yeah, I wasn't really totally digging the first 25 minutes of episode nine and the last 25 minutes or so. I definitely liked it. And and then this one, yeah, I had a little bit of issues with episode seven. Was it right? Episode seven as well. And mm, yeah, like, absolutely. Eh. All right. The other two other straight thoughts. I can't believe Florida still exists in Star Trek's future. I know I put that in in one of the notes. Orlando still exists. How can that be possible? In Voyager, it established that Los Angeles is underwater in in the future, and and Enterprise had a disaster, had a nine eleven in Florida in one of their episodes. But it was just a cutting a swath of of Florida, like cutting Florida in half with a laser beam from space. So a little bit different. It didn't get rid of all of it, but still, it's still there. I don't know if Florida's going to make it out of the the 21st century. (laughs) The elevation of of Los Angeles is so much higher than that of Florida. It just doesn't make sense. And also, obviously, Los Angeles exists in in Picard. Right. Well, that's true. It's it's I guess it's supposed to be a little bit later in in the Voyager statement. And it's going off that thing. Uh, we're both from California, right? So you remember growing up, it's like, there's. you remember growing up, there was that book and like a lot of articles like, there's going to be a, an earthquake so intense that just California will break off and sink into the sea. So I think yeah. that was that was the thinking that was informing that decision there. But mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. All right, let's get into the grades. Okay, great scenes. I'm going to just, I think we should at the top discuss President Anton Chekhov. <laughs> I enjoyed this. I um, love a good original series uh, reference. And I mean, this isn't even a reference. This is just like continuation of canon, sort of. Or not even canon, but like that story. Like, what are what are these these family members up to? Yeah, Anton 
Yelchin uh, played Chekhov in 09, so as an honor to him, he's Anton Chekhov. Uh, he's apparently Walter Koenig is Todd Stashwick's neighbor. So that was mm-hmm. how they were able to like, hey, want to come on and do this voice thing? They did want to get him on screen. They just ran out of time and money. So they just used the voice. Yeah, my I do have one weird Walter Koenig encounter, not uh, profound like the one Joel had. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. And that's pretty. That's more than an encounter, I will say. That's more than like I held the door for him at Coffee Bean. <laughs> <laughs> we ended up weeping together in, in a in a car or whatever yeah did i tell you I almost ran over rob Lowe once no <laughs> yeah did you make eye contact after the the near miss no that thing was he wasn't paying attention he was talking to people and that's why and like i wasn't paying attention either and i like didn't stop in time for a stop sign and then i because i was like paying attention to like the oncoming traffic and i was like oh and he was just like chatting it up with some people and didn't even notice and the walter koenig story i have is he was randomly in the audience for a ucb show i went to many years ago and uh, the host spotted him and asked if he wanted to be a part of this improvisational match game and so there's walter koenig he's thrust into the spotlight and he just handed up he was like being weird but getting laughs and it like crescendoed in this uh oh gosh he like pretended to get shot in the heart and he was like oh he like made the sound effect. He was like, Psh! oh, and he clutched his heart and he collapsed on the stage. <laughs> anyway, here he is in the next generation in the, or in the last generation. So, yeah. Oh, I have so many. Why don't we just switch off? OK, our second scene aboard the Enterprise where they figure out. So not the one where he's like, this ends tonight, but the, the next one where they're aboard the Enterprise and they figure out that the cube has a beacon on it and they need to go down there to figure out where it is. And if they can locate Jack and then they formulate their plan and, and then Riker's looking at Troy and that's where Worf says uh, he'll come along and make it a threesome. And Picard goes to the turbo lift and then he turns and he looks back at them and he says, it's been an honor serving with you all. And in that whole moment, it had the energy of, oh, it's the next generation. It's an episode. But also the moment of mm-hmm. like, oh, right. The stakes could not be any higher. This could be it. And I'm with yeah. you. I'm like, pretty sure none of them's going to die. But God damn it. They're really doing a good job selling that it's possible. This could be it. And I really yeah, felt it. Yeah, I, I had that on mine as well. But I also had before that, back on the Titan, Seven of Nine and Rafi lead a gang of olds to the bridge. <laughs> the theme of it is <laughs> we found the old people on board and we're going to go blast away these 20 somethings. Beverly can't even look at Jean-Luc when he says goodbye. Yeah. Um, you know what? Believe it or not, all that Titan stuff, uh, it mostly bounced off of me. Oh, I was like, okay. when are we getting back to the Enterprise? <laughs> oh, okay. I I actually, for a change, paid attention to all that. So I may have some things to say about it. We'll see. Fantastic. Um, I also put uh, Riker can't pick up uh, Worf's sword. Oh my god! When Riker just (laughs) finally realizes that this sword is really fucking heavy, he goes, Um, "Shit!" It's the way he said, "Shit!" He goes, "I I didn't know this thing was so heavy." He drops it like it's Thor's hammer, like it's so freaking heavy, (laughs) like kunk. I genuinely think that's probably a top ten in the history of Star Trek. Star Trek joke. It's really good. Oh, it's so great. And. 
Worf had a phaser in there the whole time, but he was just doing sword play. Swords are fun. It's fun. Yeah, swords are fun. Um, and they also, they do a little trolley problem. The crew of the Enterprise is like, well, we can save our three shipmates or we can save all of Earth. What do you guys want to do? And <laughs> yeah, then that's... they make the right decision. They're like, well, I guess we're going to have to, you know, not save our friends and family or instead of we're just going to save earth, I guess. Picard says goodbye to Will and Worf. I don't know why. I mean, there's a, a couple of goodbye mm. scenes pretty close together. Um, but Picard says like they figure out that they have to split up Picard or Riker and Worf are going to go look for the schematics and Picard's going to go find Jack and just Picard's whole will. It means so much to me, you know, everything you've done. And he, and he breaks down and it, and it means a lot. You feel it in that moment. Mm -hmm. Apparently when they yelled cut on that, everyone, you know, because they all like taking the piss out of each other, Frakes immediately, he and Michael Dorn were like, whoa, look at you acting. <laughs> like they made fun of Patrick Stewart. And, but before that, he was That's like, yeah, but before that, he was like, watch this. <laughs> and he's like, I I can do some acting. And, and so I thought that was that. In the moment watching it, it got I got very emotional. But then now reading all this stuff afterward, I love the moment even more because it's like there's no hint of that. There's no knowing or winking. It's like yeah. I am bringing to bear the entire history of this character to deliver this moment. And it's really touching. And it builds off of that thing I said before. You feel like this could be a goodbye. It's selling the idea mm -hmm. that it could happen. Then there's a three minute and 12 second sequence. It's hard for me to say these are it's great scenes. There's a lot of intercutting, but it's from the moment the Borg Queen starts monologuing and explaining the whole mm -hmm. plan with the changelings. And then we go into Worf and Riker fighting the Borg one at a time. It's kind of funny, uh, you know, but we saw like great hand to hand fighting with Worf. He gets shot. Mm -hmm. The score is kicking fucking ass during this time. I'm like, yeah, Whoo, the music is great. The music cues are pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> the Enterprise takes evasive action against the Borg as it's opening fire. This is the sequence where the sword comes in and we get all mm -hmm. that perfect delivery. And then we're going to the Titan and it's kind of distract. Their plan is kind of working to distract the fleet. And that was good. Mm -hmm. It fit. Then we come back and Jordy's like, doctor, you're going to need to fire. And she, she it annihilates the yeah. Borg cubes defenses. <laughs> and I love it. It's that whole sequence. That whole, it's like, it's fantastic. The music, but also like little details, the enterprise saucer being one color and then the drive section being another color because it's a, from a different ship. So mm -hmm. you still got the burn marks from generations on it. It looked great. The bubble shields are back. The bubble shields. Yeah. Oh, it made me so happy. And then all of them looking back at her when she's like, a lot's happened in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was so <laughs> great. I loved it. It was fantastic. And I also put um when Picard is trying to get to Jack, but like um, trying to convince him not to, to like disconnect from the Borg basically. And he hooks himself up and then I, and he's like explaining to him what he means to him and everything. And then I put down, sometimes you just need a hug from dad. To <laughs> I called that the missing part of me sequence. Cause that's the name of the cue. And it's an amazing piece of music, but also I feel like it earns the goofiness where it's like, oh, he's just going to plug in this like VCR cord into his neck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's suddenly the, but the whole idea that Picard says, I, 
I swore I would never do this because remember in, or in season two, he has the chance to like link up with the Borg queen. And he's like, no, thank you. I'm done with the Borg. I want nothing to do with the collective. And so it's like, there are so many weird payoffs of, of Star Trek Picard in this season. And then this episode that it's like, it works on all the levels you would need it to. And it, you can see it's a, it's a hero sacrifice. It's a father sacrifice. And he plugs himself in um, the, the acting there is so touching Picard's whole speech to him before the hug. I joined Starfleet to find a family I didn't have and I found it, but there was always a barrier. And then he talks about the vineyard and waiting to die there, paying off Star Trek mm-hmm. Picard season one. Uh, but now Jack, I realize you're the part of me that I never knew was missing. And then come on, Kristen, then if you won't leave, I'll stay with you till the end. Yeah. Did you? Oh, Gets me choked up now. <laughs> I'm like so emotional. And then I think it's, and then it's amazing when Jack breaks out of it and it, the music swells and you can see how intense Ed Spleers it is and it's all great. But then the way he rips the cord out, I'm like, that's in his jugular. <laughs> yeah. Why do they do it that way? <laughs> it's like violent. It's so violent. And it's like uh, Patrick Stewart's really paying the, playing the, it looks really, uh gross like it looks really painful and it's really shocking to see really gross (laughs) like the whole thing of like being hooked up to the borg is gross which we haven't even really talked about the borg queen but i think we'll get to that but that'll everything yeah there's plenty of time yeah to get to her all right what else do you got after we've done all that and everyone's safe we do get to see tuvok is alive and not a changeling anymore yeah i had that and Seven gets to be a captain. Yeah. Captain Seven. Captain Seven. Did you like Data piloting the Enterprise into the Borg Cube and suddenly we're yeah, watching? Yeah, of course. The Enterprise is suddenly the Millennium Falcon flying into the second yeah, Death Star? that's exactly yeah. what I was, I was like. <laughs> okay, it's the Millennium Falcon now. Okay. It's the size of a small cruise ship, but it's the Millennium Falcon now. Well, so there's a vocal contingent of fans who hate this sequence and I should hate it because of my longstanding dislike of star Warsing up star Trek. I don't like that, but I don't in this case. I love it in this case. I think it's great. (laughs) And I think I'm fine with it in this case. I think if it was like consistently like that, I would have a problem. And also it's like data saying, you know, I really think I can do this and let's give it a go. On top of that, they establish in the cold open that this board cube dwarfs the Enterprise D. So it's it's mm-hmm. massive. And the Enterprise D, which is massive itself, it's whatever. But like here, Star Trek nerds, consider this. The drive section is newer than the Enterprise D's drive section. We don't know when Jordy found this piece that he could link up with the saucer section. There's no one else on the ship. So you don't need all the power and life support and gravity to the other decks or you can reinforce it. The ship could do it. It's no problem. Also, they didn't have the money to make the ship move like that before. Because it was a model. It was yes, a model. Exactly. It was a model. <laughs> <could> do it. <laughs> and then they still managed to recreate several shots uh, in computer that mimic shots from the show. Mm-hmm. There are certain angles yeah. that are directly like, especially when it's in the cube. I'm like, that shot's from Times Squared. Like when they're going through the time vortex, like there's certain things where it's like that's there's fidelity there. Oh, the, the capper to the Picard going into the 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 collective and Jack getting him out of there finally. 
there's two parts of that that are great and I love. Riker looking up saying, I love you, Mzadi. We'll be waiting. Me and our boy. Because it's a cat. It's the end of Riker's arc. Remember? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's he's like, I, I they lowered my son into darkness and I thought and I realized there's nothing after this. And then here he is going after all of this, realizing like there's got to be something after this and I'll see you there. And then that Troy hearing that thought, sensing yeah. it, having the feeling because of their connection. And we get Troy Demption redemption for generations <laughs> when she crashed the ship. <laughs> Kristen, what did you think of the shot of the Enterprise flying overhead of Picard and Jack and Riker and Worf to pick him up on the rescue? It doesn't make sense. But it's great, right? An aerospace (laughs) physics point of view, because they wouldn't be able to breathe, is my understanding of space. Yes, uh, the implication and the pressure change would like maybe burst their eardrums or just outright kill them. Yeah, there's a lot of weird even with the Borg uh-huh. tech aspect of it that gets in there. But again, we, we live in a time where it's like, wouldn't it be cool if, and then that wins the day. It's, it's like a bunch of geriatrics taking on the Borg. It's like, we're well beyond <laughs> any sort of reality here. Yeah. Uh, but I thought, I love the ambition of the shot and I, I think it worked out well. I think it no, the was shot great. was great. It's just, yeah. you know, I was yeah. like, okay, that is that how that works? All right. Yeah. Is there some kind of, invisible bubble we don't see that keeps them from being blown out to space you know what's happening yeah because you can kind of imagine the brilliance of the transporters that you don't have to be right next to the person you're being Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yes it still works and then when they reunite aboard the enterprise Worf falls asleep oh yeah like a cat conserving energy that's right like well reuniting on the enterprise is great because i love at the end he turns to Jack and he goes, welcome to the enterprise. I'm like, I thought that was great. That was lovely. Any other great scenes you want to throw in there? Uh, no, I ran out of room on my sheet of paper. Worf hugs Raffi. The, the scene, the last scene between Worf and Raffi. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great scene. I don't think Raffi's, uh, addiction arc and all that stuff was, it was kind of, they kind of teased me a little bit in the beginning of the season and they kind of dropped it. And maybe during those filler episodes, it could have brought some element of it back. But this last scene, because Worf does her a kindness by making sure her family sees everything that she's done, it pays off season one. Like it pays off her whole arc and the season. And then Worf hugs her because all season people have been hugging Worf. And he's like, yeah. And Michael Dorn is really into it. And there's really a connection there. And I totally believe it. A, a character I think a lot of people probably don't like just because of the material. I think it's like, no, she's, she's part of the family. It's, it's great. And then I, I'm a softie when Picard, Riker and Jordy, for some reason, still wearing their same clothes a year later, (laughs) shut down the enterprise D for the last time saying goodbye to it. I thought that was really nice. And I felt no sadness this time because I'm like, it's in the museum. It's fine. It's going to be there. Yeah. People can go visit. (laughs) Yeah. And then the gang plays poker in 10 forward. The the last scene. It's a great Uh scene. Data tries to complete the there once was a lady from Venus limerick that he did in the Naked Now, <laughs> which in the Naked Now, he actually said there once was a lady from Venus whose body was shaped like a and then they cut it off. So uh, and then Picard mm-hmm. quotes Julius Caesar, giving Patrick Stewart a chance to do some Shakespeare before the end there. And then they play poker and, and it was pretty cool. Best Trek tropes. 
you know what star trek is great for that doesn't get enough credit for some reason usually fucking great teasers all the star treks mm-hmm. especially the it started in the original series of course but like uh, as compared to the rest of tv star trek probably most consistently has great teasers and i think this is a pretty great teaser for me mostly because the last shot where we get the enterprise facing off with the Borg cube and then it zooms out and we see just how large the cube is and how small the enterprise is compared to it. Mm. We then get a f- orchestral flourish on the whole of like with the French horns just going, going <laughs> off. And I was like, Oh, I'm watching like the enterprise versus the doomsday machine suddenly. And, uh, and I love that. So uh, best retro, great cold opens or teasers, whatever you call them. Um, I put, and this is not this is not something I see a ton of, but occasionally you will see on Star Trek that they've invented something new, and in this one they they've invented the portable transport transporter that they put on the phasers when Seven of Nine and Rafi run into the Titan and they shoot the the under twenty fives with the phaser and it transports them to the transporter room and they lock them in there. Yeah. Um. So I like that because occasionally you get like a little new invention. Yeah. Um. And I wonder if we'll see it again. Technically, I'm pushing up the bridge of my glasses here, Kristen. Sorry to be that nerd. That tech was in Gambit Part One and Two. Well, they make the comment that I think you just invented. Yeah. A portable transporter. So yeah. I'm just going on what the dialogue said, Brian. Fair enough. <laughs> I already mentioned bubble shields, but also beam phasers. The, the ships are shooting, the starships are shooting phaser beams at, at space dock instead of just the pew, pew, pew ones that we uh-huh. get all the time. Prefix code. Seven orders them to deploy the prefix codes for all the ships in the fleet to scramble their shields, even temporarily. I love when the prefix uh-huh. code gets used. It's so rare. Um, do you have any other ones? I have one more. Picard actually went on the away team to the board cube. Oh, he didn't really go on a lot of away missions, but he did on this one because it's very important. Did you like the throbbing red alert uh, light or do you like the blinking red alert light? Because in, in, in this refurbish of the mm. Enterprise D, Jordy changed it to throbbing. So <laughs> pulsing, I guess, is the yeah. right word. Throbbing sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's pulsing. Um, I don't know. Like, it was fine. Like, I don't have an issue with it. Going through all those behind the scenes stuff uh, about the bridge, recreating the bridge, because it's all LED lighting that can be, you know, apps can control the stuff. But apparently Mm -hmm. they copied the lighting setup so much that all the imperfections in the lighting, they even made sure to use the LEDs to dim certain bulbs or certain areas of the screens (laughs) just to match it that much. And I was like, I like that attention to detail. LED lights also weird me out. So. And then the last one I had was a captain's log. Riker gives a captain's log. Stardate, well, shall we say one? Yeah. Then he gives a bunch of exposition. But we got a captain's log, so that was good. Um, I put everyone getting weird out, weirded out that Data has feelings and especially a gut feeling mm, about yeah. something. Yeah. And he also used contractions, too. We should do an honorary one for best Trek trope. Starship acting. Because I'm going to cut together something. The, the ship shaking. 
we yeah, got some we got some enterprise yeah. d ship shaking i feel like yeah. it should go in here best trek tropes so yeah i actually was going to put that down and i forgot but yes the it's serious because people on board are shaking and there's sparks flying and stuff and i don't know if marina Sirtis was doing this to like make a big deal out of it but i keyed in on her the most because hers was the funniest <laughs> so go back <laughs> go back and just watch her the way she does it it's really funny um i also put tuvok is still a stick in the mud not a trope for this show necessarily but certainly for voyager so apparently that was supposed to also be janeway those lines were supposed to be janeway ah. and and um they you know time and money couldn't do it and uh and yeah, then, uh, of course, po- I also put poker. Poker, yeah, that's great. Poker has been a key plot point twice this season. Worst Trek tropes. Um, you know, I put, why are all the lights on the Enterprise D on, even though there's only eight people on board? <laughs> <laughs> like, they have, ev- they have lights on every deck. On. It's the LEDs, I know why we're Kristen. doing it. I know why we're doing it. So we, it looks like the ship we all know and love. Seems like a waste of power. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's like, I, I know that. visually why we're doing it. I just, you know, it didn't make much sense. In universe. Yes. Calling out shield percentages. I put that down just for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess there's a way where it's like, well, we have to do that. And I'm like, all right, fine. But also it's like, it's still worse Trek trope, but they only did it once. And I, I'm okay yeah, with that. Yeah, it was it was limited. Just so yes. we know we had shields and that they're not at full capacity. I have, and this has happened on other Next Generation episodes, sometimes someone comes onto the bridge and their costume, it looks very out of place for that bridge. And in this case, when Jack walked onto the Enterprise bridge in that board getup, it was like jarring. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. Well, the most like <laughs> that when that one character from the pilot who they had in like his weird like Groppler Zorn, yes, yeah, and like they had him on the bridge, and it was so weird, like it, it like a fish out of water. The weirdest part of that for me was that Jack had already removed his Borg faceplate in yeah. the in the two How'd seconds. That and it and I it's like I remember very clearly Beverly saying I have to do microsurgery to get all this Borg shit off of Jean Luc after mm-hmm. Best of Both Worlds and <laughs> said Jack just rips it off his face very cleanly like it's a yeah. like a sconce or something that was just <laughs> like a little just, sticker that's right <laughs> a little sticker on there and, and then she straight up touches his face and like the Borg have nanoprobes I wouldn't touch his face. <laughs> Yeah, him having the thing off his face really quickly was I was like, okay. And then it had that laser when he when he had it on to repeat the little laser pointer. And I was super concerned. I'm like, you can't get that in Patrick Stewart's eyeball. The the man's (laughs) be careful with that thing. And maybe that's why they took it off, because when he got up to the ship. But that's got to be the reason, right? Have that laser blasting around with seven people <laughs> it's like it could get any yeah. reflect in a weird way who knows yeah my la- my last thing we've already talked about it i can't believe orlando still exists like that doesn't <laughs> make any sense like and why would people still be going there for vacation so your trek your worst trek trope is referencing florida yeah like it can't possibly still be there <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I mean, I've talked about on this podcast a lot about how I'm surprised San Francisco's still there. But Florida, yeah. I, I just assumed Florida had a long time ago. You know, no one even remembers it. Right. But, okay. <laughs> Unrelated, Ashley Sharp Chestnut is from Florida. I, I can't think of how many main Star Trek actors who've been from Florida, but maybe. Mm. Yeah, anyway. All right, most of it's time quality. Um, I put the theme of Zoomers are going to be the death of us. That just like everyone under the age of 20 or 25 and younger has been assimilated because their frontal lobe or whatever hasn't been fully developed yet. And it's just like all the young people are going to kill us. So you're you're contending that this is a stealth uh, pushing of the woke yeah. mind virus or just like Zoomers. Like it used to be like, oh, millennials are so lazy or whatever. But like now it's like Zoomers are going to kill us all. And only the old people will save us. Like every, like your kids and your music kind of stuff. Like It just doesn't just, come through con- enough. Conscious, conscious or not, yeah. the, the old people are going to ride in and save the day is like, you know, that's the theme. All right. Yeah. That, and then I also put, um, we had to sit through Seven of Nine's employee review. <laughs> I don't They've think done personnel report. Oh, sitting through it is what you're saying is the most of its time. Because that could have just as easily been Tuvok saying you received high praise from yeah. Sean before. But well, we've got to see mm-hmm. Todd Stashwick one more time. Through it. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. But um, the employee review. And then I also put Jack Crusher as a Nepo baby. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they actually addressed that too was pretty yeah. great. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, aha. <laughs> Oh, and I, oh! I don't know where else to put this, but um, Picard mentioning how much he loves the carpet on the bridge of the Enterprise D. Well, it's from episode nine, but we can always mention it again here. Oh, the carpet, it? yeah, oh, just the way he says it, I, it's stuck I in my mind. Them all back to back. Sorry. Uh, when Rafi says they're using predictive algorithms to find us, that that's a yeah. very of its time quality. But this is the main one. We need to talk about new Star Trek's obsession with the go to warp catchphrase idea. Ah, I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> uh, they okay. they use that in their marketing. It's like a big deal. And in the Strange New World season two trailer, they use it uh, for Spock saying it. And it's like a punchline. Uh, there's just some weird obsession they have thinking that that's what people say. And Jack even says it's the first line in her legacy. And at least this time around, they have like the good decency to cut away before she says mm-hmm. anything. But yeah. why is it here? I don't get it. <laughs> you know, people who yeah. weren't watching Star Trek from when they were little kids, then suddenly are tasked with, you know, managing the Star Trek IP. And that's one of their takeaways. That's kind of sad. I think it's kind of sad. <laughs> it's like, well, the yeah. captain's got to have a go to warp catchphrase. Uh, it was like a running joke in Lower Decks, I think, which makes more sense there. I mean, I saw it more as like a joke, more more jokey than like totally serious it's just a joke they've done they've done in every series they've it's it's been yeah i was glad that they cut away from it though i was like oh god anything they come up now is gonna be horrible after that build-up yeah no like yeah like after the build-up in the episode like oh you gotta come with something really good what's it gonna be what's it gonna be like it doesn't matter what it is because now you've hyped it too much so and also you had picard's dramatic engage in the last one 
So why why bother mm-hmm. with trying to beat that one? But I think since Discovery came out in 2017, they have done that joke in every season of Star Trek. <laughs> that's that is insane. Is that a that's nuts? <laughs> I don't get that. Uh, any other one? These are some yeah, big most of its time. It's kind of weird to keep making it. Kind of weird to yeah, we keep making it every series though, right? Like yeah, every season of every series. <laughs> Now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great lines. I already said a bunch of them. Will means a lot to me. A lot's happened in the last 20 years. Swords are fun. Okay, here's one new one. Troy warns Riker, once we open fire on the beacon, you only have a minute to get out of there. And Riker says, I owe him a lifetime. The least I can spare is a minute. I'll see you soon. Riker out. Holy shit. I'm like in 1994 suddenly. (laughs) That's Riker. And also it's, it's a very nice sentiment. Um, so when Seven of Nine and Rafi lead the group of the olds to the bridge, um, and she orders one of them to take the helm, but the guy just says, I'm just a cook. I liked it. <laughs> they just grabbed whoever they could grab. Yep. Like, are you over the age of 25? Can you rent a car legally in the United States? <laughs> okay. <laughs> then come with me. You're driving the ship. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> There's a cook on board. That's nice to know. Yeah. Like, we're leaving you a skeleton crew, including. (laughs) Well, Shaw takes his blue meat very seriously. So. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I I don't, I think I'm paraphrasing, but when Warp says there are two words, a Klingling never admits to knowing defeat and um, farewell. And that was sad. Yeah. He said that's a big card. Worf also, when he's with Riker and they're rushing to find Picard after they've accomplished their part of the mission, he says, there was a moment today where I was worried we might actually survive. Uh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> Poor Worf never gets to die. <laughs> uh, about that Tuvok scene, I actually really liked his line, resignation denied, Captain. <laughs> Just like resignation yeah. denied. <laughs> um, when Data's maneuvering the ship through the Borg, um, Deanna Troy says, why am I sensing enjoyment? Picard, take care of her, Jordy. Jordy, yes, sir. After all, she's always taking good care of us. Talking about the Enterprise. And then Riker's also the same line after Jordy says, you know, it's difficult to imagine what we all might have been without her. And Riker says, different, certainly, but certainly not better. I can't imagine what my life would be like without Star Trek The Next Generation. And I know that that seems kind of sad to say. But also, it ins- it was the TV show that inspired me to even want to pursue working in entertainment. And if I hadn't moved to L.A., I wouldn't have, you know, have the life that I have, which I like my life and all that. You know what I mean? Like, so there is there's a lot of elements to uh, to it existing at all it means a lot to me. So any other great lines? Yeah. So when. um it's been revealed that Rafi is a big time hero and her family actually forgives her and wants to be part of her life now. Rafi and Worf are talking and then Worf says, whoever leaked this information is an honorable maverick. Yes. <laughs> I <had> that too. <laughs> I have just been like loving Worf this whole season, but I always loved Worf before, but like I just really getting a kick out of him. 
And he says, be happy with your family, Raffaella. Remember, we we love that he says he calls her Raffaella. So, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Be happy with your family, Raffaella, warrior of the house of Musiker. And she says, and you, Worf, house of Martok, continue to be a warrior for peace. I, I love that idea that he would be a warrior for peace. I think that's really, that's yeah. a neat way for Worf to end his story there. Jack, names mean almost everything. And Picard, you know, well, I've come to believe that the stars have always been in my favor, mainly because of how they're both delivered, both those lines. But they're they're nice lines coming mm-hmm. from those characters. Um, the Anton Crudian Award for best performance. I was wondering, can I just give it to the whole cast? Is that something I can do? We're on the same wavelength. This is why we're great. I just- Okay. host together christina because i i put down my first notes was, I was like, well, af- am i gonna yeah. give it to but because it's such an ensemble this episode especially after he says goodbye to Riker and wharf i wrote down patrick stewart and then by the time deanna's running to the helm i'm like it's it's all of them it's mm-hmm. it's all of them they're all amazing they're all on their game the data stuff like you know it's a new character it's not quite the data we know yeah. But he was good before this episode, and he has moments in this episode where he's really great. I, I mean, the, all the goofiness with him piloting the ship and I can do it and all that stuff. It was goofy, and I think it was supposed to be, so that yeah. was fine. But um, yeah, why not? The whole cast, they were great. And I, can I give a special shout out to the to the Zoomers? Yeah. I thought, oh yeah, the, the Zoomers were great. Sydney, Alondra, Esmer, and Mira. So when they all become de-assimilated... The looks on all their faces, they're like overwhelmed and crying. Uh, mm-hmm. That was really fucking great. These are like, you know, what I mean, like they're they're not these are nothing parts for the most part. It's all them. And uh, mm-hmm. Gates McFadden on one of her podcasts, she said there she specifically mentioned like everyone in the cast is great. Uh, all yeah, of us no, like dead weight. Yeah. All of us, the younger people, she goes, you could come back next week and any one of them could be the lead. That's how good mm-hmm. all of them are. And it's like in that moment, just their faces, they're like, oh, my God, I've been assimilated. I killed a bunch of people like, yeah, it all it all it all works. So congrats to everybody. I mean, how often can any production yeah. say that, especially a TV show? I mean, especially one with such like a large cast and like so many moving parts. So, yeah. 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 Um, The Shatner. You know, I'm just going to say the board queen, I guess. Um, I didn't really have anything that was that's exactly who i had jane edwina yeah okay so that's the body double for the board queen it's like the thing of like i'm gonna tell you the whole plan before i kill you james bond thing villain thing um which of course we we need it because we don't know the whole plan because it wasn't told to us in any of the other episodes (laughs) up until this point it could have but it wasn't yeah so the voice was alice krieger who was the Borg Queen in Star Trek First Contact. And then the body was played by Jane Edwina Seymour. And she gets the Shatner because she's she's have, like, I'm wondering, did Alice Krieger record her lines and they played it back on the set? And so she's basically lip syncing to that. Or oh is God, she just be I, like, I'm going to have to revise that because that's so hard to do that. I, <laughs> well, I, well, I'm trying to figure out or is she just I mean, being she's going so... for it. It's not yeah. bad. It's just like, no, no, no. It, and she looks it. creepy and it's like a weird, creepy version of the Borg Queen. And that uh, costume probably took forever to get into. But also then if, if she wasn't doing lip sync, was she just acting so big? Right. And having her, you know, moving, gesticulating so clearly so that it was easier for Alice Krieger to match the performance. 
don't know. It kind of feels like if you're dealing with Alice Krieger, you're just match. You're doing the lip sync version where you're letting the the actor give lead the performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. It would have, you know, sad. We didn't talk about season two, but Anne Worching played the Borg queen. Played the Borg queen in season two, and she passed away from cancer. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she would have been the one who would have been brought back she had a good take i thought she was a good board queen last season but yeah i i had her too it's not a bad it's not it's not a bad shatner it's a good she had to go for it she's in a she's a weird creature <laughs> uh which yeah. part of this incident are they teaching at starfleet academy boy uh if you have the ability to gas decks of the ship and you're containing an insurgency in one room I don't know. I'd flood flood the compartment with the nestazine. There's no evidence that these Borg yeah. can survive in in different atmospheres, as far as they know. You know, they're just biological entities that are now reprogrammed by the Borg. Why would their lungs suddenly? You know, what I mean, like all their human functions seem like they'd be in there. So gas them. Yeah. <laughs> gas them. Because you can certainly imagine um, that the that the Borg kids are all on the, in the chairs, the command chairs, and they're doing their fire, fire, fire thing, and then suddenly hear a, tss, and then they all collapse in seven. Then the old step in, and they're like, "Well, that was easy. Get him to the transporter mm-hmm. room." And then you know, what I mean, like, I don't know. You had to do the, you had to have a gunfight because streaming shows. If something's not being well, shot within the first thirty seconds, it's it's bad. Forgive me for this, but I said maybe they're teaching that perhaps just killing Jack Crusher would have been easier <laughs> like when you, when you had the chance. Did they really give that uh, a shake? We didn't see um, no. any member of, right. They should so have they, given it, but like in retrospect, they should be like, well, you know, if they just, once they realized what was going on, he was leaving to go meet the Borg queen, which is, you know, ill-advised. You, someone should have just shot him. Maybe it's kind. Of, yeah, that's true. When he was leaving, there maybe should have been more of an effort to of like know, Shaw should have been more like I'm putting my foot down. This has gone on yeah. long enough. Like you guys were just gonna, they were just guarding him. Like we're gonna take it to Vulcan and we'll be fine. And then he's like, oh, and then someone just should have shot him. <laughs> I mean, the needs of the many outweigh the needs yeah. of the few, and it's this like, insane. like oh, yeah. my big plan to go have a chat with the Borg Queen to look for answers. Yeah, I mean, ugh, come on. Um, I also put that Beverly Crusher is obviously teaching everyone how to spot a changeling and how to fix the transporter issue. Yeah, like the DNA issue. That's a good one. I like that. Uh, all right, what part of this episode is Picard embellishing or omitting from his memoir? <laughs> I don't know if he's really embellishing or omitting it's pretty fantastic as it is like he gets to be a hero and a great dad i'm going back to this well because i think it makes sense here if you'll notice in the poker scene troy is drinking some sort of blue juice and the rest of them are drinking martinis i think he's writing we drank chateau picard and played poker until morning (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i won every hand (laughs) <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. Now is now the time that we can. <laughs> he does actually win a big hand, but is now before we do the actual final Trek Marrier kill is now when we talk about the last post credit scene. Yes, go ahead. So the post credit scene for those who haven't seen it is Jack Crusher showing up to the newly christened Enterprise 
G, right? A yeah, G. I, I still think it should have been the Picard, but whatever. <laughs> I know, me too. I like the the look on Picard's face. I was like, oh, it's definitely Picard because I couldn't see what was written there. I'm like, why would you? Okay, whatever. Anyway, and he gets to his quarters and he puts a little picture of mom and dad from God taken out. I don't know, like the Emmys 19. No, no, no. Thank it? you, Christian, for running into this. <laughs> it was from the premiere of something called television at KCET Studios in Los Angeles in 1988. It is a Getty okay. Images photo. Yes. <laughs> and Q shows up. And I was like, well, the trials just for humanity's just begin. Begun for you, buddy. And I have to say, I have no interest in watching a show with Jack Crusher, who I don't consider to be too particularly bright against Q. Like, I just, I don't see how that's interesting. So let's, now this is where we talk about how this episode is also a backdoor pilot for Star Trek mm -hmm. Legacy, which is the show that Terry Metalis is trying to drum up support for. He was the showrunner for Picard Season 3. We're recording this just as the writer's strike has kicked off, though, which could either help or hinder yeah, so his Yeah, that dream might be dead, Terry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but I think this was, that was the part of the episode that I did not like at the time and on rewatching it, knowing it was coming, it was just easier for me to like, okay, just got to get through all this stuff has absolutely nothing to do with any of the characters that they picked because I love the LaForge sisters. I like, I commended the other cast, Mira and Esmer, uh, rest in peace, Lieutenant Tavine who got blasted away earlier. I have no issue with that. I think I was just like, let's stay on the point of this exercise, which is a nostalgia trip with the next generation crew. And mm -hmm. I'm not sure the captain seven show was at the top of my list of things I wanted to see. I think I've been able to rationalize Jack Crusher being an ensign in Starfleet though, for, for a couple of reasons. One, we don't know how much time passed between the end of the events of the or the board cube and then the one year later we don't know how much time passed because beverly becomes head of starfleet medical you know it's like it's a the time and troy is on a ship uh counseling data like that doesn't just happen the next day mm -hmm. especially since she's referring to several sessions it seems like they've been there for a while yeah so we don't know how much time has passed there plus then we get you're a saying year. he has time to go to starfleet academy yeah. is yes. what you're saying okay maybe it did the you know correspondence courses from home yes and then here's the second part of why it didn't bother me the second time around it's very easy to see that seven requested him on the ship because of how they mm -hmm. talk to each other afterward she she specifically says he's but she's the special counselor to the to the captain so there's every chance that you know in the last in the next year or the year or 15 months or whatever that she's like, oh, Jack Crusher, he's got all this experience on the Outer Rim, you know, doing all this other stuff. He knows 13 languages. He's part Borg. I'm part Borg. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's an element where you can see very much where she, like, dips into the pool and she's like, I want him on my command. It's no, it's no, it's no issue to me. Mm -hmm. but I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't feeling it. I will say this with the Q scene, though. John Delancey looked fantastic. He had yeah, what's he even doing? So, okay, so <laughs> what's he, he even, what, what What's he? I mean, like, not like... Career-wise, I mean, like, is there some kind of tonic he takes? Or, <laughs> well, the, the weird part is, is that he had just shot season two and these shot back to back, and I guess he they only had twenty minutes to shoot that scene, and it was like a last-minute thing, 
And the implication seems to be that it was shot, you know, Star Trek Picard season two ended on a Friday and then Picard season three started on a Monday. And I think Delancey shot on that Friday, his scenes for two, and then just dropped in at some point in that first week, turned right back around because Q dies in season two. And so they bring him all back. He looked great. His hair, like everything. He didn't look that good in season two. Like, he, no, like, I didn't even watch enough of season two. It's I fine. Think, to, it's fine. It's, don't watch it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Now you told me to, and this is an exact quote, abort <laughs> my watch of season two. There's no reason to watch season two. Sorry okay. for people who might want to defend it, but you don't have to watch. You don't have to watch every episode of Star Trek if, if you don't have to or if you don't want to. There, mm-hmm. there you go. But also, I think also the lighting helped. He was a lot in a lot of natural daylight. This is my chance to bring in the lighting element that Gates McFadden said in her episode, mm-hmm. uh, her podcast episode. So the season long complaint has been it's so dark on that set. Well, guess what? The actors agree with you, audience. Gates McFadden oh said in the shuttle pod show in the key scene of episode two, where remember she comes out on the bridge, Riker brings her out on the bridge and she and Picard exchange a look. And that's how Picard knows Jack is his son. Gates McFadden said she could not see P- uh, Patrick Stewart's face. It was so dark. The way that they used to have to shoot. Well, anything is that you had to have huge, like really powerful lights to see anything. Cause the camera can't see anything indoors basically. But now though the technology is such that you can shoot in really low light, but you don't have to. Like you can actually light your scene so that you can see what's going on. That is insane. Like I, that is so dark. Yeah, she's like, I didn't even know if we were lit half the time. For television, for a television set. Yeah. Not even like a, a moody movie set. Like some people shoot like, oh, and we're only shooting by natural light the whole film or whatever. So it's going to be really dark or whatever. And that's for like atmospheric reasons or something. But this, there's no reason to do that. I wonder if someone ever said, okay, Michael Mann, the joke there is that Michael Mann likes to shoot on digital because it captures low light anyway, but also uh, it has the effect of making them look slightly younger, right? It doesn't show every imperfection or age thing. So they do kind of look slightly younger. And I think that's what helped Delancey there. Uh, One more thing about the, about the technology, because she remembers how it used to be with microphones, the sound pickups and how they'd have to talk so that mm-hmm. they could be heard. And she says, now the micro- microphones are so sensitive that Patrick several times couldn't hear what people were saying. To him. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. that's, that's just funny, but it's also like, you know, I mean, that's like an age thing, but it's also just funny too, but it's, it's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah. I mean, I bet how it's sensitive just like yeah. a pain in the ass. I wouldn't be able to hear anybody either. But- yeah. But they, everyone had, there's been not one negative or like weird, you know what I mean? Like open to interpretation statement about this season from the cast, from the people who've made it. Oh, that they're like, oh, it was a drag. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Read it as them saying, oh, this whole thing was a slog. Yeah. I do love listening to Gates McFadden's podcast because it's like she gets to do this season and suddenly she's doing renovations on her home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they, they've all been taken care of financially by Star Trek, but now they get, yeah, exactly. Now they get some more money. Yeah. I would, the legacy part of this was definitely the part I was least interested in, but I love that there's an enterprise G because in my, a long time ago, I was like, I'd love their, the, the next Star Trek show that takes place in the future for Star Trek, not Strange New Worlds, is if they just skip ahead to the Enterprise G, because who wants to be on the F? 
mm-hmm. and call it. And then they just they don't call it the Enterprise all the time. They just call it the G because it kind of sounds cool to call it the G. But anyway, so there we go. It's like a, I willed it into existence. Like I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> mind. Like the Star Trek legacy show, but I think that um, if this is your ace story, I'm not that interested. Like Jack Crusher is not a foe for Q. Like I, I how how Q even thinks that this would be fun for him is ridiculous. I love that this is your angle on it. Uh, <laughs> I, it's the strongest. It's the strongest plank of your argument <laughs> of of the argument of why this doesn't work. It's like Jack. He'd run, he'd run circles around him. It's ridiculous. This is a guy who's like, oh, I'm gonna go see the board queen and maybe she'll tell me some stuff about me. Like, oh, hello. his plan was worse than that, Kristen. His, his plan. plan- was- freaking ridiculous oh my god okay so we talked about this last week but like that his idea is so stupid but it's made worse by the fact that it coming out of a 20 year old's mouth i can kind of believe it but ed spaliers is not 20 years old so it looks like it's like geez man did you huff paint before you came up with this one like a 20 year old like 20 year olds are dumb i mean i i used to be one like i don't know if i'd come up with something this harebrained i'll go see her and when she gets close to me i'll show her who i really am i'm like i don't think it's gonna go that well pal (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's gonna be smooth sailing everything so far for me has worked out like everything has been a complete shit show since since like day one for this guy yeah like people have been chasing him it has not been going well and these are just like random people who are chasing him like who are bounty hunters or whatever everything has gone to shit and now all of a sudden you're like i'm gonna go see like the the big bad the big villain and it's gonna go great yeah so many people have died and suffered protecting him and then he just throws that all away and say like, nope i'm gonna take a shuttle and go well yeah and the all the alternative would be like is like, well, we're going to go to Vulcan and we're going to see if we can, like, get a mind meld and, like, you know, fix you here. And then he's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Oh, it's like an institution. Yuck. It's like, grow up. <laughs> Trek, marry or kill? Should we Should we do it? <laughs> so despite all that I just said, I love this episode. Yeah. It's a marry, I'm right? Gonna, yeah, I'm going to marry this episode. Yeah. Where are we? I loved it. As a pilot for Legacy, are we Trek marrying or killing that? <laughs> uh, there, I don't have enough information. All right. I'm putting it on say. a provisional kill list. Because there's so. not even, a, <laughs> like, there's only one tiny plot point. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I would say I would say provisional kill. And you know what? I think the writer's strike is, is going to take care of this one. But... <laughs> Just like it did to heroes, unfortunately. R.I.P. If you're too young to understand that, I'm so sorry. But the writer strike in 2007 was bleak. If you're a zoom, if you're a 25 and under, <laughs> I hope it gets resolved very quickly. But not so we can have this Jack Crusher versus Q nonsense. So in episode nine, we married that one, and for me, it was more of like I marry it. Uh, because of towards the end, the second half, and this one, it's a full throated for pretty much all of it. Mary, I can't believe how much it succeeded in in accomplishing what it set out to do. Terry Metalis has directed 
12 Monkeys episodes before, but essentially he put the weight on himself to direct the fifth Star Trek The Next Generation movie with uh-huh. his heroes and tell a story that that fit into two shows, you know, Picard and The Next Generation that made sense on that level uh, within a very confined budget and really stayed true to what it was what it was doing. It didn't feel like it was outside the universe. Can we just talk about the original cast real quick? Just going through. Mm-hmm. Do you mind? No. I, I'm start with Marina Sirtis. I talked about her last week, but it's so imp- I don't think it could be overstated. Like I, I get why people think Troy's a joke. I mean, she was dressed like a cheerleader in the first season. A lot of her lines like I feel this or it's like saying the obvious stuff. But Marina Sirtis, is, if you think of them as like um you know, as, as a group, they're stronger than the than the sum of their parts. You know, they all make each other better in their own way. But the counselor yeah, role—that that part given to somebody else who wasn't as good of an actor could have been a total freaking joke. Yeah. So, and I I never considered it. I mean, like sometimes she was given really shitty, like in the beginning, like the stupid outfits and everything. But I didn't really yeah. like that. Was just kind of a season one mostly thing, though. I just, yeah, I think that her role and the counselor, the ship's counselor role, if you read the Bible and all that stuff, there's a lot of interesting things in there. I think as the next generation went on and it kind of became more of like a younger men writing the you show. You the show Bible, right? Not the. Yes, the show Bible. Sorry. In the <laughs> okay. Holy Bible. It's in the New Testament. It's pretty obscure uh, line. It's it's in John somewhere, I think. Um, anyway, I honestly so... wouldn't know. You could have been like, they talk about having a shit counselor <laughs> on, your, on your barge. Uh, Michael Dorn, you already talked about this, but I mean, he, Worf probably had all the best lines. And if you just compiled yeah. all of his lines, his hit rate, he's he's Ted Williams, at least. Yeah. Where... <laughs> but also just he's uh, a casual reminder, he's, He's been in the most Star Trek of anybody ever. Important. And because yeah, he was a Deep Space Nine. And... Yep. Yep. And as I ask, I submit to you, not just you, Kristen, but the audience, who isn't happy to see Worf every time he's on the screen? I don't know. <laughs> and like he's been a creep. Right. But he's been on, he's been in the most Star Trek, and you're happy to see him every time. So he's brought a lot of joy last, just as vice president. <laughs> last night on TV, there was actually a next generation episode from episode seven or sorry, season seven. It's a wharf heavy episode and it takes place on his birthday. Parallels. And everyone. Yeah. So everyone gives him a little uh, surprise party. He hates it. And they have like, right in like the cold open, it's him in a party hat. I'm like, wharf is such a great character. Like, how could you, how could anyone not like wharf? And it's just like the whole episode is just hilarious, but like, because it's wharf in like these strange situations like he finds himself married to counselor troy (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's very like he's just like oh what's happening here and it's just fun and it's like even for a season like seven episode it's good so like after watching i'd already watched this episode and then i watched that and i'm like yeah we're just like one of my like top tier characters LeVar Burton, he he won our Anton Caridian at uh, least once, but he's, you know, it's LeVar Burton, which I think mm-hmm. for both of us reading Rainbow, like he's been in our lives in some way. Yeah. And it's like 
kids love him, right? He's like, oh, he's there to educate and he's curious. And I understand that our parents, it's like your roots is, is sort of the end for him. Mm-hmm. But Well, I'd watch Roots in school, even I though did, I was too young some, to have seen it. Yeah, for some reason, we didn't watch Roots in school. But Oh, my God, uh, I've yeah. seen it so many times just in like a school setting. I don't think I've ever seen it outside of a school setting. So it's just like LeVar Burton being part of our lives, you know, as a personality mm-hmm. in in some way. And then Jordy LaForge. And, and thank God this season came around. You know, Jordy and Data's friendship was so important, but also his relationship with his daughters. You could feel mm-hmm. the love there that, you know, good casting to make it all seem like, oh, yeah, this family, they're all related to each other. Um, but also just like. It'd be very easy for him to feel like he's phoning it. It'd be very easy to feel like all these people are just like doing the paycheck. But LeVar Burton, his career post Star Trek, he had one before Star Trek, right? When The Next Generation yeah. came out, he and Will Wheaton were the two most recognizable people on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think like, <laughs> but like Will Wheaton was like mostly in films or, you know, like in Stand By Me, yeah. right? That's what right. he was from. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and LeVar Burton was like literally in the most watched television event mm-hmm. ever. So he was extremely recognizable and like had a daytime kids show. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, he was like the most recognizable for TV audiences anyway. And he's always stuck around. He's directed Star Trek after the next generation. So he's always been a part of it. And, you know, it's great. It's been fun just having him there. Like, that's the thing, like as they kept adding them in throughout the season, it felt you could feel like things becoming more stable and it's like, ah, all right. Now them all fitting together. It all starts to make sense. Gates McFadden. uh, Fantastic. The Beverly Crusher role, certainly better than she's gotten for the most, you know, pretty much all Star Trek. She is uh, one of the people that makes me think like, well, she was always a good actor who didn't get good material, but sliding back into the roles. That's kind of the thing. Like Mm -hmm. just right there. It was, just so nice to see. And then who who's who am I missing? Brent Spiner. We've seen so much of Brent Spiner. So I'm, it's no offense, but it's just like <laughs> what I actually I think it's really great that as I got tired of seeing him from season one and season two and everything they were doing with all the variations of the Soong family and all that stuff. But this uh-huh. season, it just, they just stick with data and lore. And guess what? Brent Spiner is really great at doing being data and being lore. He's really great at being lore, <laughs> really damn great at being lore. It was great that they figured out a way to bring back data. I think it all worked. Oh, yeah. So my husband had not been watching the whole thing. And he came in. He's like, like during this episode, he's, he's like, um, have they explained why data is old now? <laughs> and I had to like give him the whole rundown. <laughs> and then like, he left the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then Frakes, we really already have did. We did our thing on. So that's OK. Mm-hmm. So then we got to go. We got to end how we started. Patrick Stewart. Well, let's see. I think he gave a pretty stellar performance this year. Uh, mm-hmm. And I love that he has the ability to go like, my instrument is getting old. So <laughs> yeah. he's like, this is how I do it now. And I really somehow at the end, because there are definitely times throughout the season, I wasn't totally buying their relationship. But certainly by the end, the, on the first watch, like he... Yeah, he's like, oh, my God, I have a son. And and you can uh-huh. see all of his choices throughout the season. I guess what I'm saying is like, OK, we've watched this guy for 35 years or whatever. And it's like, here we are. We're at the end. And it's just it was all beautiful. I think that's where I'm kind of getting at. It was great to see them all slip back into their characters 
It was kind of like a beautiful reunion in a way that didn't feel totally sappy. And like he actually does get to be a dad because he doesn't die at the end. That's right. Like I think I'm sure that was absolutely what they wanted. We're planning, but um, allowing that character to do that, I mean, even if it's off screen, is nice. And before we go, because we didn't talk about this episode, we have to pour one out for your girl, Edson Rowe. <laughs> oh, I'm still still upset about it. I know. I bet you are. Terry Mattel said they ran out of time and money, but there was going to be a scene where Roe had survived. Alas. Yeah, when that happened, <laughs> my heart my heart broke for you. <laughs> but it was such a well-executed way to bring her back and tie it into the story and her death actually meant something and set them on their journey because without her the whole rest of the story doesn't happen you know they're they're in the dark so it all works out all right so we wound up doing six treks and four marys not a single kill this Mm -hmm. season is certified fresh wait can we say that that's a copyright i don't know who cares (laughs) yeah i'm sure though i'm sure they've gotten and uh, 90 minutes into this podcast, whoever's <laughs> enforcing trademark for uh, Rotten Tomatoes. All right. So this concludes Star Trek Picard season three and also season one of Trek, Mary Kill. Kristen, mm-hmm. can you believe it? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. A uh, big thank you to all of our guests this season. Jay Holtham, Hector Navarro, Lori Olster, Brian Drew, Craig Calcaterra, Ryan Countshouse, Lisa Pearl, Cassie Soliday, Ryan Nanny, Josh Pruitt, Joel Silberman, Kat Spada, Katie Hampton, Matt Jen, Stu, Fansense09, Andy Money69, Tamar, and Nathan. And an even bigger thanks to all of you, our listeners. Our audience continues to grow, and we're grateful for all of you. We'll be back for season two on August 1st, so you won't have to wait very long. In the meantime, you can help spread the word about the show by giving us five stars on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And of course, we're on social media, Twitter and Instagram, TrekMaryKPod, and on the web, TrekMaryKillPod.com. That's the big one. Here you can find all of our standings, how many Treks, Marys, and Kills, and summaries of episodes. We also drop some poll questions there from time to time, and that'll help us shape the show as we go forward. That's how we got a lot of great suggestions for how we might do season two. So until season two, TMK out. Bye.